church. All right. So I got a lot of announcements I want to make sure I don't miss. So I'm going to grab my handy dandy sheet here. Before I even get to any of them, I want to welcome you again to Southwoods Christian Church. I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, and I just hope that you feel the Lord's presence here as well. Um, so it's awesome that we're here together because he's here with us. And if you're here checking us out online, you know, I'm so good that you're, again, listening and hearing God's word and getting to worship with us this morning. Singing loud in your living room. So here are the announcements. You ready? Uh, 3:30, March 30th. We're almost in April, but next, this, no, this week. Sorry, on Wednesday we have midweek. It's the last Wednesday of every month. It's an easy way to remember, and that is such a great way to really feed your soul, feed your life. I just encourage you to come and be in community and get into God's Word uh, with us on Wednesday. Then we have Ladies' Night the next day. So ladies. Again, a time just to have fun together, uh, be in community. After that, uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after is huge. It's anniversary Sunday here at Southwoods. Um, so don't mark that on your calendar. Don't miss it. It's so, so cool to see how God's been at work. Great Sunday. So that's April 10th. And we have right after that Seder, the Seder meal. Great thing to check out. And there's a flyer for it in the back that looks like this. So if you're like, what's Seder? Go look at it come talk to someone after, after service. It's a great way to really prep yourself for Easter, which is the next announcement, April 17th. Um, invite people. That's my biggest thing with that. Please start inviting people now so that it's on their radar, on their calendar, and that they can be in God's presence like we are this morning and hear the amazing good news of his gospel. After Easter, we have grad night heading into May, into the school year, and then summer, VBS, sign up in the back. You sign up now because it's we got a plan for it. We need volunteers, helpers to make that happen for our, our students, our children. And then finally, um, you know, with spring and summer, we have growth, um, and that includes nature growth. It's a blessing from the Lord, but we have to mow it as well. So... If you want to help with that, and you're like me and you don't have to mow because you have HOA that does it for you, and you're just like, you just got to get some mowing, sign up in the back at facilities. Um, there's a place to sign up for that. It's really awesome because they rotate. You're not doing it every single week. Very doable. So if anyone wants to mow and you're like, that's my thing, 
get some music in and worship as you do it. I encourage you to do that. Those are all the announcements. Let's continue to worship this morning. Take praise in walls and 
God, you are never changing. Oh, I love that we can hold on to that, Lord. Thank you so much for who you are. opportunity to greet each other, but you can all freak Jenna out right now if you all if you all say hi to Jenna here at once, because <laughs> people have been asking, like, who's that awesome singer that makes it sound so good, and then she's gone. This is my sister-in-law, Jenna, and so whenever they're in town visiting, hanging out, we love to have her on the worship team, because she sang here before, so that's Jenna, and now I want you to turn and say hi to one another. Well, I just want to point out the, the three ways that you can give here at Southwest Christian Church. It's on the slide, in person, online, or by mail. Um, I think this is one way we can claim our confidence in him in that action. So we're going to sing, one more, we're going to sing another song here. And I just want to say really quick on this, because I feel like every single song we're singing about, and I really, I think the message too, is just like, I hope you leave today confident. Like, that's my word that at least I'm getting at. I'm going to say it again later before we get into communion. Um, we just have so much confidence. As I'm reading, as we were back when we were reading through Acts, I'm actually doing some catch-up on our reading plan. But I'm like, man, when Peter's in prison, and like that last song talked about shaking prison walls, and the confidence that like he had to have for God to let him out. I just like, I want you to like cling to those stories of faith that God has. And this next song sings the same thing. So please be thinking of that as we sing this out together. God is strong in battle Our God can never fail Through Him all chains are broken In Him the sick are healed In the name of Jesus Giants are defeated Every single mountain has to move. You're faithful to your promise. You finish what you started. There is none as powerful as you, Jesus.
was saying that last week, just say it. Say that name. Claim it. I just I really pray that you claim that this morning, church, and especially as we head into this time of communion. Um, that it's such a, that's, that's when he conquered, right? That's when he conquered death and gave us hope and new life that we've been singing about. And so I just want to share with you before we head into our next song, I don't know about you, but it's, there's definitely a lot, lots of times I feel like in, in our world today that we have every reason to be troubled, worried, and, and, it's, and rightfully so. But I, I want to encourage you, church, that we should be, at the same time, we can feel what is feel what we feel, but believe what is real. And I want you to, I just want to encourage you to be, that we can be confident that Christ will accomplish his purposes. He will accomplish his ultimate purpose, and he will hold all accountable. And, and we can play a part in that. We can play a part in accomplishing his purpose. And so this next song, again, hits on this point of faith and trusting in those promises. Promises, And the song is called Be Still. And, and you, can, you can have a seat here in just a second as we sing this, because I want you just to reflect on the words. But the song says, be still. And then throughout the song, it says, I will wait for you. And those, those two things sound kind of passive, like, be still. But actually, it's a very active thing because each and every day you wake up and your feet on the floor, you have to claim the victory in Jesus and that newness of life in Him. So that verse later on says, I will choose light, even in darkness. So as, as you are surrounded by things in your life and around your life that are troublesome, I just pray that you would be encouraged and think of this time right now and this time of communion that you have more confidence in Christ than the feeling of being troubled because we know that he overcomes. So go and have a seat and you can sing this out with us even while you're sitting, but I just pray that you reflect on these words.
thank you, God, for filling us. God, that your spirit is here with us, that you hover over us, Father, and you meet us where we are. God, you are just. Father, help us to see the bigger picture of what you want, what your mission is, what your goals are for your purpose and for us as individuals. God, thank you for being present with us this morning. We need you. We love you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and take communion.
going to ask us to bow our heads and pray one more time. Uh, just this week was reflecting on the fact that uh, it's this whole deal in Ukraine and Russia and all that that's been going on for a month now, and uh, much longer than most of us would have, much longer than any of us would have hoped. So what I want us to do is just bow our heads, pray together, just join me. I want to pray for believers in all these places, pray for God's intervention. Would you join me in that? Okay, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are sovereignly aware of everything that's going on. There's nothing that's hidden, invisible to you. You see everything that, everything that's going on throughout the earth, in our lives, but also uh, in places like Ukraine. Lord, honestly, uh, when we look at what's going on there, our prayer is for the intervention of your Holy Spirit to bring peace, uh, to bring uh, a a stop to the war that's going on there. We pray for believers on both sides. We know there are believers in both groups. Our request is, Father, for your spirit to give them wisdom and understanding. We know that you have sort of wired them in spirit to want to be peacemakers. We pray, God, that you'd help them to stand up and for peace to prevail. But Lord, we also know that you've told us that in the days leading up to your return, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and that's just going to be the case. Lord, our request is that if that's what's going on and, and sovereignly there's, it's just going to be this way, our request is for you to rescue your children, for you to look out for widows and orphans, for you to, to assist those who uh, are following you and seeking your intervention. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would cut off evil and that you would exalt goodness righteousness, people walking in your ways. Oh, Lord, we just lift all of this up to you, knowing that only you see everything. Only you know everything that's going on. We just entrust it to you and ask for the intervention of your Holy Spirit. We're grateful that you are King and Lord, and that soon the day is coming when you will stand triumphant on the earth, and everyone will see you and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess once and for all that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord. In heaven on earth and under the earth, that will be decreed. We look forward to that day. Now, would you be with us as we look at Scripture, as we look at your word together, as we reflect on our lives? Just rededicate ourselves to you as we do so. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Thank you for uh, joining me. And that would encourage you to continue to pray about uh, everything that's going on there as well as other parts of the world because, um, you know, it's a mess. So probably don't need to say more than that for in light of everything we know that's going on. I want to encourage you real quick just before I dive in. Two things I want to encourage you. This Wednesday night is midweek. Um, Lori and I are going to tag team the, the teaching that night. We're going to walk people through the blood of Jesus. And I want to tell you, you've, you've read about the blood of Jesus. I am confident some of the things that we're going to show you tonight, or that night, uh, you have read a hundred times and never seen. And that's not because it's not there. It's because we tend to sort of skim over that. But I really think that if you come, I think it'll bless your life. It'll add meaning and value to every communion time you have from this day for, from that day forward. It'll, uh, it'll add value and meaning to, uh, to your Easter time, too. So I hope you'll join us Wednesday night, 630, uh, right here. So a little bit of worship at the beginning, and uh, then we'll, we'll dive into the teaching time. Uh, other thing I want to mention is thank you, Bob Priest, for speaking last week. 
long story, but the short version just took a bunch of thanks to my moms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because we're in the process of selling my aunt's house. And so uh, pray for that. Pray that it closes. Pray for appraisals, et cetera, et cetera. So just pray about that, if you would. But, uh, but anyway, it was great to see my mom, great to see my sister, and uh, get, to, get to go to church with my mom last weekend. So anyway, but thank you, Bob, for speaking here. And uh, I, I love Bob. I, I love his commitment to the Word of God. I love his heart for Jesus. I love his heart for all of us as a church. And uh, so, so thank you. Really appreciate that. I want to ask you, have you ever heard the uh, tall Texas tale about the teacher who was helping one of her kindergarten students put on his cowboy boots. Have you ever heard this, any of you? I'm guessing maybe most of you have not. You know, at the end of a winter school day, a little boy asked his kindergarten teacher for help putting his cowboy boots back on, and the teacher, when she looked at him, could clearly see why he needed help. Even with her pulling and push, her pulling, him pushing, the little boots still didn't want to go on his feet. And by the time they'd worked and twisted and all that they were doing to get him on, finally they got the second boot on. And by that time, the teacher had just really worked up a sweat. So when the little boy uh, said to her teacher, um, they're on the wrong feet, <laughs> she just almost cried. It was the end of the day. She was exhausted. And, and sure enough, they were on the wrong feet. She was thoroughly exasperated with herself for not noticing. But nevertheless, she started pulling the boots off, which wasn't any easier than getting them on the first time. And all the while, she managed to keep her cool, kind of stay sane as it's all going on. They worked to get the boots on together. This time they got them on the right feet. And just as they were finished, she was exhaling and the five-year-old announced, you know, these aren't my boots. <laughs> Dumbfounded and with one of those empty looks, you know, the, the, the teacher bites her tongue, once again started struggling to help him get the boots, the ill-fitting boots off his feet. And no sooner had they gotten the boots off and he said, they're my brother's boots. I don't know why my mom made me wear them today. At this point, the worn-out teacher didn't know if she was going to laugh or cry, but she mustered up all the grace, all the patience that she had left, and she started wrestling those tiny boots onto his grubby little feet. And, and then finally getting them on, she uh, helped him with his coat on, and she carefully stepped back and looked him over, you know, before you return him to mom. And uh, she says... Uh, where are your mittens? To which he responded, I stuffed them in the toe of my boots. <laughs> Any of you had preschoolers, kindergartners? This kind of thing can really happen, doesn't it? It's like that. You ever had a day like that, though? Some days, some seasons of life are sort of like that. They're frustrating, they're exhausting, they test your patience. It's like a bad dream that you want to wake up from, but you can't because it's your life. It's how it feels. It's painful. I mean, if we're all honest, some of the challenges that you and I face can really stretch our patience and our faith. 
And so it's important that every one of us learns how to face frustrations and adversity with Christ-like courage and grace and faith. And really, that's what this whole series has been about. We've been in a message series, making our way through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. A number of you have been here through the whole thing. I know some of you haven't been able to be here on site. You've watched us online throughout the entire series. I hope it's blessed your life. I know it has mine just doing it. But the series is entitled, When Faith is Tested. And the people 1 Peter was originally written to were very well acquainted with frustrations and adversity and trials. If you've been with us, you know that many of them had lost everything. Some of them were at risk of losing their very lives. There's so much that we've been learning from them. And today's passage is no different. Uh, it's going to help us as we listen to what the Scripture says. So it's going to help us to capture the big picture of what's going on when our faith is being tested. Because what's true for all of us is when our faith is being tested, when we're being, our patience is stretched and so forth, the reality is we lose sight. We lose perspective commonly of what's really going on. And so if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it to 1 Peter we're going to be in chapter 4 together this morning. We're going to read a few verses together. I hope you'll listen carefully as we look at these verses. Hope that you'll not only listen as we teach this morning, look at this, but I hope you'll reflect on this in the days ahead this week because I really think that this, this passage is rich with insight and there's absolutely no way we can fully do it justice this morning. I'm going to do my best, but the reality is there's a lot here to think about. And so uh, follow along in your Bible, follow along on the screen as I read, and uh, reflect on this, not just today, but this week. Maybe take a few notes as we go, okay? Scripture says, starting at verse 12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if the judgment begins with us, what terrible a fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, it's a quotation from the Old Testament, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, Keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. You know, today's passage describes the big picture of what's going on when our faith is being tested. And in the process of describing that, the passage tells us it reveals four biblical truths, four biblical truths about trials and uh, just the tests that come our way in life that God wants all of us to just accept, truths that He wants us to embrace, not because we like them, but because they're true. It's like gravity. You don't have to like it. You just have to live with an awareness that it's a fact, okay? 
So this is the idea of this passage. This passage gives us a biblical worldview for understanding trials and tests. It doesn't say everything, but it gives us the big picture. We've talked about the goals of adversity. If you missed that, go back to the very first messages in the series. You're going to hear that. But today builds on top of that, really. It builds on everything that we've talked about. It gives us this big picture. And my hope is in the next few minutes to point out some of these truths as well as what is the big picture and I really want you to think with me about this because it will add purpose, meaning to the challenges and hardships of your life if you do it. So I'm just going to tell you real quick, you do need to think with me for the next few minutes, okay? This is not like a passage that you just go, oh, it's about grace. And you can think, oh, I know what grace is. No, we're talking about stuff here that's bigger picture than that. So will you think with me? That was pretty weak. Do you think with me? All right, let's dive in. The big picture of what's going on where faith is being tested is clearly addressed, clearly addressed in these verses. In the middle of verse 13 in particular, I've highlighted it on the screen in the passage. Listen carefully and notice the italicized words. I, I italicized them. That was not from God. That was for me. Italicizing that, okay? The Bible doesn't come italicized. I did that, okay? But I want you to see what it says. These trials, notice what it says, make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Let's pause right there. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Let those words sink in for just a moment. Think about Christ's trials. He was insulted, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was publicly shamed, he was beaten, things taken from him, including his own life. On and on we could go with his sufferings, his shed blood. We're gonna, again, we're going to get into that this Wednesday night. Don't miss it. 6.30 Wednesday night. These are the sufferings of Christ, some of them. But what you and I have to understand is that the sufferings of Christ did not end when he said, it is finished. Did you hear the, the gravity of what I just said? Did the sufferings of Christ end when he said, it is finished? No. Because the passage is saying, these trials make you and me partners with Christ in whose suffering? His suffering. He's still suffering. I don't have time to walk you through all of this. If we had time, we could go to Acts chapter 9. Paul, uh, Saul... And Jesus have a conversation. Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? On a physical level, just flesh and blood, was Saul persecuting Jesus physically himself? No. He was persecuting all the Christians, right? Go back and read chapter 8. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because his sufferings are not done. He died, yes. The atonement was made, yes. His sufferings are not done. The passage says, again, look at it and read the rest of the verse. Read, start the italics. Let's read the italics together aloud, okay? Just indulge me for a moment. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Why? So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. 
I mean, this is, this is a concept that most of us don't grasp, but I want us to unpack this a little bit here before we dive into these four truths. Here's the choice that's before every human being in life. Every person is faced with this choice. Do I want to be a partner with Christ in his sufferings, or do I want to be a partner with the evil one in his sin? Do you follow that? Every human has this choice. Both paths have consequences. But in this life, right now, where good and evil simultaneously coexist, okay? You with me? In this world right now, there are no other options but good and evil. I can align myself with Jesus and his sufferings. I can do that. There are consequences for them. The consequence is I'm going to have some temporary, sometimes painful consequences. Why? Because I am choosing to wear and live according to the privileged name of Jesus. It comes inevitably with wearing the name of Jesus. I can choose to live that way. Or I can embrace the evil one's sin with its temporary conveniences and pleasures but it's guaranteed painful, eternal consequences. The choice is ours. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral, unaligned place. In fact, what we find in Scripture is that to be a friend of the world and to align yourself in neutrality, guess what? You become a friend of evil and an enemy of God, if that's the case. We either choose to follow God, Jesus, and become an enemy of the world, or we choose to follow evil, and we're not a friend of God. We have a God of grace and mercy who's longing for us to change our mind, if that's the case. Now, God wanted the people 1 Peter was originally written to to understand, hear me, that the trials they were going through were evidential proof, like in a court of law, that they were partners with Christ in his sufferings. They weren't just going through some meaningless, random, hard luck. He wanted them to understand, no, you're partners with Christ in his sufferings. And here's the thing, he wants you and me to understand that it's no different for us. Tests, trials, hardships, sufferings, disappointments, grief, sadness, shame, pain, abuse, neglect. Things that happen to us that should never happen to us. We're partners in the sufferings of Christ because he's still suffering right alongside of us. I want you to listen to what Jesus told his disciples, because I know some of us are still wrestling with this and just thinking, I've not thought about this, and you need to think about this. We need to think about this deeply. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples just hours before he was betrayed with a kiss on the night of his worst sufferings. Jesus said in John 15, 20, it's recorded, Remember what I told you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what's he say? They will persecute you also. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours too. Jesus is indirectly saying in these verses, trials make you and me partners with him. He's identifying with us. He's partnering with us in his sufferings. The Apostle Paul clearly understood this. I want you to listen to another passage of Scripture. Listen to his testimony about this. In Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 10, he says this, I want you to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This is the good side. And he goes on and says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And last pause right there. Is Paul saying, I want to, you know, like we win the lottery. I won the lottery. I want to suffer with him in his death. Is that what he's doing? No, that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I know that to choose Christ means suffering. And given the choice of living according to sin, living according to righteousness in Christ, guess what? I want to suffer with Christ, sharing in his death, verse 11, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I'm not interested in temporary gain. I'm interested in eternal, eternal gain here. The resurrection from the dead. And he goes on, he says, verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved all these things and that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And then he concludes with this, that unless you know what I'm talking about here, what we've been talking about, this makes no sense. But because we know he's talking about the sufferings of Christ here, he says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, it's like he says, I, it's your prerogative to disagree, but he says, I believe God will make it plain to you. Here's the big picture. The big picture of what's going on when our faith is being tested is this. We're partnering, we're becoming partners with Christ in some way in his sufferings. You may not understand, I may not understand how I'm partnering with him in that, but here's the thing, as long as there is pain, Christ is suffering right there alongside of us. And the reward of wearing his name will be the resurrection from the dead. It's going to be seeing Christ return. It's going to be experiencing the perfection of heaven eternally. On and on we could go, but there's so much that could be said about this. I long for the day when the health and wealth gospel preachers deal appropriately with what it means to be partners with Christ in suffering. I'm not saying that God's not interested in your well-being, because he certainly is. By his stripes, you've been healed. I mean, he suffered so that you could receive provision. And on and on we could go with this, but the fact of the matter is, it's more than that. We become partners with Christ in his sufferings. 
And if that's not so, on some level, it just doesn't all make sense. But it is so. Now, if all of us who follow Christ are to some degree going to become partners with him in his sufferings, because let me just tell you, if you choose Jesus, I mean, really come out of the closet and choose Jesus, you will. You will suffer. Because even if you told nobody else, guess what? The evil one knows. He knows if you're really following him. And the, and the fact is, if you're really following him, other people are going to know too because you won't be able to keep your mouth shut at some point in time. And so on some level, our speechlessness about our faith is indicative of perhaps, let's say, the low-grade fire in our soul for him. But to the point, there are four biblical truths about trials and tests that God wants all of us to just accept, all of us to embrace. Write them down. Write them down as we do this. These truths are mentioned in 1 Peter 4. Each of us needs to know them, accept them for the truths that they are. And real quickly, the first truth about trials and tests that God wants all of us to accept and embrace is this. Trials are to be accepted, are just expected. Trials are to just be accepted, expected. I'll get it right here in a moment. Trials are just to be expected. Often our natural tendency when adversity and hardship comes our way is to be shocked and bewildered and surprised as though life in an imperfect world is somehow going to be perfect. Maybe not for you, but for me. It's how we live. We fail to recognize that, guess what? We're going to be partners with Christ and his sufferings by virtue of choosing him. If we're partnering with him, guess what? Did he suffer? Yes, yes. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted him, guess what? They will persecute you. Evil will persecute you. It will seek you out. It will make your life miserable at times. God, who is merciful, will probably give you windows of, like a scuba diver who's coming up for air, snorkeler who's coming up. You'll get windows where you come up and go, I wish all of life was like this moment where it's like I can breathe and no stress, and blah, blah, blah. But then the next thing you know, wham, it's going to hit you again. And, and I know some of you aren't even liking my message right now. You do not understand how good this is. This is biblical. We've got to get this straight in our heads. Trials are to be expected. First Peter 4.12 tells us this. It just says, dear friends, don't be surprised, shocked, bewildered, etc., at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Do you know when, you know when Peter wrote this to the people originally? What he just said was prophetic, and they didn't even know it at the time, because shortly after this, guess what? Nero burned Rome, blamed it on who? The Christians. He was telling me ahead of time, they, he didn't even know it, unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. But I, I, I'm guessing probably like a lot of us, it's like, Something comes out of your mouth, it's God, you don't even know what's happened. I think that's what's going on here. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange or unusual were happening to you. 
If all of us who follow Christ are to some degree going to become partners with him in his sufferings like they did, then trials have just got to be expected. You just got just to accept it. Believe it. Expect it. Doesn't mean you have to walk around like Murphy's Law because you have a God who's with you and a Holy Spirit who fills you. But it means you need to calibrate. We need to calibrate our expectations to understand that it's going to hit me no matter what I do. And that's especially true when you consider a second truth about trials and tests that God wants all of us to accept and embrace. And that's this. And, And again, without what I'm talking about, this doesn't make sense. But he's saying, the text tells us, trials lead to blessing. Lead to blessing. Look at verse 13 again. Be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Why? So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. I don't have time to break it down, but let me just tell you, you will see his glory when it's revealed to the whole world, whether you are living or dead when it happens. Because 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that the dead will be raised, and you will see it. You will see it if you're a believer. The dead in Christ will rise. Verse 14, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. I mean, think of how much hardship comes into our lives because we mistakenly do some of these things, because of sins we commit or things that we choose to do that we shouldn't, we look back with regret, or it's not enough to live our own life and judge our lives according to God or Jesus himself, but we're meddling other people's affairs as if, you know, somehow I'm going to make them better by, you know, by pointing out every flaw in them, you know, on a personal level, just kind of nitpicking their lives and that kind of stuff. Verse 16 says, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God. And notice the word that Peter chooses. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. If we're following Christ, then when adversity and hardship come our way, we need to just embrace the reality. Something's good is going to come out of this. I don't know what yet. But I'm identifying with Christ, and guess what happened to him? Did he stay in the grave? No. He was resurrected. Triumphant over evil and death. He will live forevermore. Evil is vanquished. And his experience is my inheritance. We will be blessed, friends. Surely you know where the Apostle Peter got this whole idea. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this, but Jesus himself, who told Peter and the other disciples these words, listen to what he says, Matthew 5. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're one of my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Jesus himself is just saying trials lead to blessing. 
when they come into your life. This is why James can say, count it all joy, my brothers, you know, when you endure all kinds of trials and hardships. That's why he can say that kind of thing. Because blessing is the inheritance of those who suffer hardship. One of the huge blessings that we would never know about is talked about in this scripture. If it wasn't for the scripture, we just, I, we just wouldn't fully get it. I mean, other passages talk about it, allude to it, but we just don't always make, connect the dots. Third truth about trials and tests that we all need to be aware of and just accept is this. And this is, this is a big deal. We can talk a long time about this. Trials now replace future judgment for believers. Did you hear what I just said? Trials now replace future judgment for those of us who are believers. Listen carefully and think seriously about what 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18 says. It's not a verse we like to camp on because we don't like the word judgment. We don't like this kind of thing, but we need to camp here a moment. Scripture says, for the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, with all of us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? Pause. If the judgment begins with us and all the hardship, all the trials, all the horrible things that some of us have gone through and are going through, if that's what we've got coming our way, Okay? What terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? That's what the text is saying to us. And also, if the righteous are barely saved, I mean, if we barely make it through this, what will happen to godless sinners? Now, think with me about this, friends. According to the passage, when does judgment begin? It's already begun, right? When Jesus said it is finished, the atonement was finished, the great irony is, is that judgment began from that moment forward. It's begun. And it started with whom? God's household, believers, us. Trials now, friends, for those of us who have faith in Jesus, trials now replace future judgment for you. If your faith is in Christ and you've invited him to be your savior and the Lord of your life now, trials now replace future judgment for you. And if you've read your Bible very much and you have any idea what judgment is really going to be like, that is one huge blessing. A huge blessing. And in fact, I'd say, if you've yet to invite Jesus to become the Savior and Lord of your life, this is a great reason right now, this morning, to just delay no further to look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus, you can say it with me in your spirit. Lord Jesus, here I am. I am a sinner. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me yours. 
I need you desperately now, and I'm going to need you desperately on a day of judgment. Make me yours. The scripture is really clear. There's a terrible fate awaiting those who have never obeyed God's good news. A terrible fate awaiting those who've never embraced Christ. So will you look heavenward and invite Jesus to be a part of your life? If you'll do that, you'll discover a fourth truth about trials and tests and a truth about God himself, really. If you've been following him for a while, you've seen this to be true. You'll discover that God can be trusted. We don't fully have time to to flesh that out, but he is a master at bringing good out of brokenness and corruption. And 1 Peter 4.19 tells us, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, meaning it's not because you murdered somebody, it's not because you've stolen stuff, it's not, because, you know, it's not something you brought on yourself. If you suffer in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right. I mean, don't stop doing what's right, just keep doing it. And trust your lives to the God who created you. Why? The verse says, for he will never fail you. He will never fail you. The big picture of what's going on when our faith is being tested is this. We're becoming partners with Christ in some way in his sufferings. And just as God the Father was trustworthy and rewarded Jesus, in the same way, he's going to be trustworthy and reward you, reward me. So entrust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. I'll close with a true story from a medical missionary. His name was uh, John White. He's written a number of books. <clears throat> Goes into third world countries or did in his younger years, in particular with his family, and would, you know, it was almost like triage kind of stuff a lot of times. You know, just medical missions is a, a, a real challenging thing. And that's what he did for early years of his life in particular. And in one of his books, he describes an event that occurred uh, during his early years when his family was young, he was serving in a remote third world country, and he writes this, and listen carefully and just try to picture the scenario. He writes, when, I, when my one-year-old son, Scott, was just learning to walk, he fell on a cement driveway and split the area below his chin so deeply that the floor of his mouth was exposed. Hospitals and doctors were 155 miles away, the nearest ones, over torturous mountain roads. He says, I had no surgical instruments with me. A quick inventory of our resources turned up a less than impressive array of one darning needle, coarse thread, one pair of rather blunt scissors, a pair of eyebrow tweezers, we also had a little antibiotic powder, but there was no local anesthetic. He writes, since infection in children develops rapidly, an infection in the floor of the mouth in particular can have fatal complications. 
rightly or wrongly, I decided to trim and stitch my son's gaping chin wound with what we had. We sterilized the instruments, he writes. I did my best to explain to my one-year-old son what I was about to do and why. But what can a one-year-old understand? My wife and I placed our son on the dining room table and judgment descended on him. Cruel adults seized his limbs and his head so tightly that movement was impossible. And then the father he had always trusted became a fearful monster inflicting unbelievable pain on him. How I wished that he could understand that I feared for his life. And that what he was experiencing, though excruciatingly painful, would protect and save him. Mercifully, he writes, when I was all over, my son still seemed to trust me, sort of. And as for me, I caught a glimpse of the trials of our lives from God's angle. When our faith is being tested, you and I must remember there is a bigger picture. And the truth is, the specificness of it, only our Heavenly Father sees. Because what can we, mere children of God, truly understand of the ways and the purposes of an all-wise and yet loving Heavenly Father. We must remember there's a bigger picture and our loving Heavenly Father will never fail us. And somehow, some way, we're becoming partners in the sufferings of Christ in a broken, flawed, sinful world. But because our God is good, there will be blessing and reward and life because of it. And I ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. It's been kind of a heavy message. It just is. There's no way to do it otherwise. My hope is that you won't just let the heaviness, like, you won't just like throw it off like a heavy coat at end of winter, you know, end of winter and spring arriving, you know. Carry it for a while. Think about it deeply. Just see if the Holy Spirit doesn't encourage you some that there's meaning and purpose to the difficulties of your life beyond the shallow scope that we often try to assign to them. Okay? You need prayer for something, come on down afterwards. If you've never given your life to Christ, you just want to pray with somebody, come on down afterwards. You need to be baptized because you've never demonstrated your obedience to Christ in that. Scripture is really clear about that. Jesus himself tells his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. With that, which, you know, this is part of, part of the evidence that you are a follower of Jesus is at some point in time you've, you've been baptized, expression of your faith. You've never done that. Come let us know. We'll work it out with you and help you make arrangements for it. The baptistry is right there. Can't think of a better time of year to be baptized.
time it's approaching. So let us know, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice. I thank you for your word that gives meaning, purpose, value to the hardships and sufferings. It would be unthinkable to think that the mockery, the the crown of thorns, the beatings, the, the shame that Jesus endured was not somehow significant. And in the same way, Lord, it would be wrong for us to think that whenever we suffer and endure hardship because of the fallen world that we live in, that it's somehow trivial or insignificant. It matters to you. You hurt with us. When people persecute us, they're persecuting you. Thank you that you've identified with that. But Lord, just as you in the flesh said it is finished, we know that the day is coming when you return, when all of us with great joy will stand up and exhale, it is finished. Because you once and for all time, for all eternity, will be Lord and King. And evil will be vanquished. And hope will spring anew and eternal. God, in between now and then, give us courage and faith and strength. Help us to trust your word that you'll never fail us. Even when we don't understand what's going on, that you're supposed to remember that you're good and that there's a big picture going on. And we thank you that you go through these times with us. You've not left us alone as orphans. You've claimed us, and we claim you. Cleanse us, walk with us, empower us, transform us, use us. We're yours. Thank you, every person here, Lord. May your spirit strengthen us to walk in your ways. We'll give you credit for every good thing that happens. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. 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 Bless you all.